Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're going to take you away from the play. good how's it going mel you know same old same old pandemic same continues old. <laughs> yep yep but who but. did we have on who did we have on this week Sass? yeah we had on marie-lou duvernay tardif she's a rower for uh, canada's national rowing team she's a member of the knowlton rowing club here in quebec and i mean her last name might seem familiar to a lot of people she does come from an athletic family i do believe she has another sister who was a skier i don't know at what level or anything but she also happens to have a brother who is a very successful football player um not a super bowl championship no big deal laurent duverny tardif but Obviously, this episode, we really focused in on Marie-Lou and rowing because I knew nothing about rowing going into this episode. Yeah, we definitely learned a lot. My biggest takeaway was that she, she, she used to do gymnastics, you know, around 16, 17. She was like, this, I can't do this anymore. Uh, let me explore a different sport. Showed up, did a fitness test, and they were like, do you want to go to the Olympics? <laughs> That story is insane. And like when she like was talking about it, I was like, wait, this is how it all started? Like this is how you went from gymnastics yeah, to That's rowing? how fit she was. But yeah. it was a really great episode. First off, we just learned a lot about rowing and how it's growing. And, you know, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for her. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, enjoy this episode, guys. Welcome back, everyone. We have such an exciting episode today. We have Marie-Lou Duvernay-Tardif. She is on the national team for rowing. So our first rowing athlete, which is really exciting because Sophia and I know nothing about rowing and we're really excited <laughs> to learn about it. So Marie-Lou, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, we'll start with the typical question, just like, how are you doing uh, during this pandemic? Obviously, you know, training is probably a little bit difficult. You are a summer athlete, the way I think of rowing. So can you tell us a little bit how you're holding up during this frigid winter as well? Um, yeah, I'm actually not doing too bad. Of course, it's a little bit hard for um, motivation right now, like not having any uh, competition. But I guess like that's just the reality of every athlete right now. Um, we went through the summer without any, uh, any race, uh, which was really hard, but also gave me time to, uh, just work on the base and just making sure I'm the best athlete I can be. And I found some ways to, to make it very interesting with my coach and have like some, uh, goals that we could achieve outside of racing. Um, so that was really good. And then winter came and winter and rowing is really, really hard in Quebec because you can't row. So you have, you're stuck on, um, the indoor machines that we call <laughs> ergs. They're very, very boring. <laughs> so, um, that is hard. And usually we have training camps out West where, where we can row, um, 
but this year with COVID, we're just uh, kind of stuck at home and we can't train with the team. So we're just by ourselves in our apartment. Um, I went up to my cottage in Gaspé just to have like a little bit of a different um, scenery. And that was really good. And then, um, so I did that for two months and then uh, I learned that uh, I can actually train with my coach, um, Sport Quebec and the government just allows us to, to train uh, with one coach. And so I came back home and in Noten and uh, I have access to this gym, uh, Latol in Waterloo and um, I'm able to train there with my coach, which is so helpful um, to have his feedback because before that, like, we did sessions on FaceTime, uh, <laughs> and send it to him, but it's not the same thing as having yeah, for sure. um, real feedback. Um, so anyway, we made it work, but it, it is a hard time right now with the pandemic for sure. Absolutely. I think everyone ha has had to become a little bit creative in, mm -hmm. in their everyday life, you know, whether that be working from home or training from home in, in some aspects. What I appreciate is your honesty just saying that the erg sucks. Even for like <laughs> even for like an elite athlete like yourself, it's it's nice to it's a little humbling to hear that you also hate it because I do not like that thing. It's very hard as well. It is. It is very hard. And it's always a love-hate relationship because you know it's gonna make you so much stronger for the summer season and the, mm -hmm. the racing season. I think it's so helpful to have that time off the water. I think in Quebec, it's a little long, like six months is too yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's important to have that time to just work on your fitness and make sure you're uh, fitter than anybody else. And then you come back to the water and then you, you make the technical gains as well. Um, so I know I need it. I know it's important, but it's just so boring. Um, <laughs> you guys definitely didn't sell me on it. Like I'm not trying it anytime soon. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you can you can make some fun games out of it. I usually do a lot of uh, math question in my head. Like I'm like, okay, that's 90 minutes, and so divided by five, that's 18 minutes. So like, okay, no way. It's good. You're keeping your math skills sharp. I just go like that for like hours, <laughs> which you know you find ways to to make it work. I used to play the the fish game, Safia. There's like if you pull on like, you know, the erg. I don't yeah. know, like what would be your oars. <laughs> you okay. become you move like your I don't even know what it is like a bigger fish up and down the screen, and you oh. try and eat the other fish that are going. <laughs> That's the only thing that kept me going, but it, it doesn't keep a good tempo. But no. We digress. We digress. <laughs> Maglu, um, you know, what I, we found so interesting about your story is that you kind of, in, in my opinion, started late. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is typical for rowing, but, like, it sounds like you were a gymnast for a long time and then you switched over to rowing, you know, I think in your late teens. Can, can you tell us really how you got started in the sport and, you know, why it was so late or if that's just typical of, you know, kind of the, the rowing team? Yeah, so I was a gymnast for um, almost 16 years before rowing. I started around like three years old and I uh, did it until I was uh, 16. Um, okay. So, and I, I love that sport so much, but I'm, I'm six foot tall, so it's I'm not made to be a gymnast. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying you can't be when you're tall, but it's just harder. 
Um, and I loved it so much, but my body was starting to kind of break down on me. Um, and I got injured a lot. And I, so I, I knew I had to, to stop just to like preserve my body and be able to move when I'm 50. Um, (laughs) and so so I was looking for another sport, um, just to stay fit. Uh, my parents own a bakery, so I couldn't just do nothing. I eat so much. Um, I I need a sport to like, just stay fit and like do, I don't know, like three times a week or something. And my brother rode for one season with, uh, McGill university. And he was like, you know what? Like, I know they're looking for tall people. And <laughs> you should go try out. And I was like, okay, sure. I didn't know anything about the sport. Like, I knew it was a boat, but that was basically it. Um, and so I showed up to uh, Parc Jean Drapeau in Montreal. And um, I was like, yeah, like, I know um, my brother rode and I would like to try. And they were like, oh, yeah, um, sure. And then they, they made me try. And then the that week they made me pass a standard test that they do for all the athletes that want to come into rowing. Um, and they're not um, technical, like you don't need to know how to row uh, to do them. They're like a test on the bike and then a power test on um, a machine called a dyno. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just do those tests and based on your uh, physical abilities, then they, decide if you have a a potential or if you're just going to go into like club rowing, which is great as well. Um, So I did that, not really knowing anything about rowing and then everything happened really fast. And I met the head coach for the Quebec team, um, Gavin McKay. And then he was like, you know what? Like, we love your potential. Uh, We want to like take you to the Olympics. Um, And at that point, like, I never really rode. Like, I didn't know how to row. <laughs> this like, is a wild story. Yeah, so I, I want to like, take you to the Olympics. I've never rode before. I was like, uh, okay, sure. And I was like, and I, she was like, take the week to think about it because you don't want to invest so much time and energy into somebody that's not going to want to do it in the end. Um, but I think in the back of my mind, like, I knew I was never going to go to the Olympics and gymnastics. Um, but I knew in the back of my mind, like, I always wanted to compete high level in a sport. Mm-hmm. And the Olympics, like, they were always there. And so I I think I took, like, not even a day. Like, I think that night I called Gavin and I was like, you know what? Like, I really want to do this. Like, this is going to be great. Um, and at first I, I thought I was going to keep doing gymnastics for a year and like start rowing slowly um Mm -hmm. but before I knew it it was like 25 hours of training and rowing a week and it's just like okay I can't do both yeah Um, for sure I decided to quit gymnastics um and just go into rowing and and then I started training um and it it was kind of hard because I started in the fall and so I only had like three weeks on the water yeah um, I didn't, I wasn't even able to row 500 meter without falling in, um, <laughs> <laughs> when we can row anymore and it was winter. So I didn't really know, uh, what rowing was. I didn't know if I loved it and mm-hmm. I had to go through the six months of indoor training. Um, but I just told myself like, you know what, do it and stick with it. And in the spring, when you start rowing again, you'll see if you really love rowing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did that. I got through the winter and then 
once I got on the water and I was able to start moving my boat a little bit <clears throat> instead of just falling in, uh, <laughs> I really got hooked in, in the sport. And um, yeah, I just kept going with it. Um, yeah. And so I think I did start a little bit late, but it's not uncommon for rowing because it's a sport. It's pretty repetitive. Um, and the technique, like you can always get better. Like it's, it's a hard sport, um, but the basics are not that hard. Um, mm-hmm. And for racing, compared to like cycling or cross country skiing, there's no, there's a little bit of tactic, but not that much. You're basically in your lane and you push as hard as you can for um, six to eight minutes. So <clears throat> there's no like tactic that you have to learn and you have to mm-hmm. learn how to race. And so, it's easier to start later. Um, and there, so there's a lot of people that are starting a little bit late. Um, but I would say like around 14, 15 would be mm-hmm. the best age to start. So I was a little bit, a little bit old, but uh, it didn't stop me. And I think it's a sport that you can, you can learn pretty quickly. And then it's a lifetime of just uh, perfecting those, <laughs> the, the cycle of the strokes. Kind of like the technique, which is kind of like, it's kind of nice in that sense that you can just pick this up at any age and you don't have to mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I'm too old to start this out. Like, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go do like, I don't know, <laughs> soccer. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, going back to like that first year where you got like discovered, you agreed to to commit to rowing and, and realizing that, okay, rowing's taking up what, 25 hours per week of your time. And so gymnastics wasn't no longer possible. I mean, you mentioned that gymnastics was a huge passion of yours it just wasn't sustainable for you anymore so like was that you know when you realize like okay I can't I can't maintain both was that like really hard for you at the start you know was it or was it kind of like you're fully committed to you know getting your feet wet and rowing Mm -hmm. and seeing where it takes you and so gymnastics like you're putting it behind you like you know what was that what was that like um, it was hard because gymnastics had been such a huge part of my life. And, For sure. Um, yeah, so like before rowing, I spent pretty much all my free time at the gym, uh, whether mm-hmm. I was coaching or uh, training. And so like all my friends were there. Everybody I knew was at the gym. And so it was really hard to make that switch. And um at the gym, I would say, like, there's a lot, it's an individual sport, but there's a lot of people always there, mm-hmm. um, and then I got into rowing, which is not a popular sport in Quebec, and there was, like, my coach and three other athletes uh, that I was training with, but they're not, we're not even training together because they're in Montreal, and I was still in high school, so I was in saint Cyr in my hometown, mm-hmm. so I was going to Montreal on the weekend to train with them, but the whole week, like, I was uh, going for a run in the morning before school. And then at school, I had an exemption uh, on lunchtime to go to the gym. And then after school, I was going uh, to the gym by myself as well. Um, So that was actually kind of reminds me a little bit of right now, training by myself. Um, So it was was really different. um, And it made me miss a little bit the, the, I will say the like the social aspect the social aspect around the yeah. gym um and yeah so that was that was pretty hard but after the winter like 
I started to go to race and uh, training camps and stuff like that. And it was hard for me because I was new. I didn't know anything about the sport. And uh, it was all in English. And at that point, I didn't speak a word of English. Um, <laughs> Just so, another layer of difficulty. <laughs> so I remember my first camp actually was in Georgia. And oh. my coach, uh, it was with Ro Ontario. And nobody from Quebec was going except me. And my coach couldn't go because of budget. And so I went by myself and everybody was driving down in a bus from Ontario, but it was like too much for me to do like 10 hours of driving to get to where they were starting and then drive with them. So I took uh, a flight to Georgia and then I got there and somebody picked me up from the airport and I like couldn't make conversation. I just didn't know what to say. And like, it was so hard. And then I got there and, they were trying to explain to me which boat I was going to take and which oars and everything. And I just like, it was so hard. <laughs> I remember I exhausted just from trying to like understand what they were saying to me. Um, but every, everybody was so nice and they knew like I didn't speak English and they were just like trying to help me. Um, so anyway, it was, it was hard, but like it was such a good experience and it was so fun to like, meet new people and discover this new sport it was like really kind of a new challenge for me um and and I really loved it and so I mean I think that's important to like get out of your comfort zone and just like mm -hmm. new stuff um so yeah uh, it's just like really good memories that I have from that camp Oh, for sure. And I mean, it must have been nice to go to places where you can meet other rowing athletes and realize like, oh, okay, like I'm not alone and there are other people who are in the sport. I mean, you mentioned in Quebec, it's not a very popular sport. I mean, you know, why do you think that is? Is it, you know, just because here it's obviously hockey and I, like winter sports are, are huge here, yeah. right? And it's so much colder here than in like the rest of Canada, like on like a yearly basis, right? So, you know, well, why do you think that is? Is it maybe an issue with grassroots participation, you know, that sort of thing? Or yeah, curious um, to get your take. Yeah, I think uh, if I compare to Ontario or BC, where it's more popular, um, I would say like they have high school program. Um, and I think that's the big difference is because we have a couple of university programs, um, but before that, like, there's nothing. Like, nobody knows about rowing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that it's just, like, an awareness because we have the body of waters um, to, to row on. Like, it's crazy. Sure. Since I started rowing, everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, my God, this lake, it would be amazing. Like, this <laughs> lake, this lake. And it's just, like crazy how many opportunity I see for rowing um but it it's just unknown um and we're we're trying really hard to to make it bigger um and like I go into school and make like little talks about like rowing and um mm -hmm. what it is as a sport but I think also uh we're trying to to uh make race happen in uh downtown of cities uh like in nice but, yeah so that people can see it and just understand a little bit more what the sport is um so i think that's that's really important and but 
honestly, I think the high school program are uh, the most important, but it's not a very, like, it's not like running where you can just grab your running shoes and go running. Like, yeah. pretty expensive sport, equipment, um, and everything like that. So it's, I think it's just a matter of accessibility right now. Um, mm-hmm. We started actually a club in like home before we moved here. There was no rowing on the lake. Um, and since we got there, just from people seeing us rowing every morning around the lake, um, a bunch of people just bought boats and then they row from their cottage or house on the side of the lake. And we can see them every morning. That's like this summer, I think there was a group of like 15 uh, master rowers that were there every morning. So that was really interesting to see in like four years how it developed on the lake. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it always comes down to like, visibility we're all competing for like eyeballs you know and people's attention if you see it you can believe it yeah Yeah. and like I only knew of rowing basically because I grew up in Welland Ontario which has a big rowing club and you know we have an older canal that's no longer used and it's like just the perfect flat body water for you know canoeing kayaking rowing and my high school despite being like a high school of like I don't know 200 kids had had a rowing team mainly yeah. because, you know, the rowing club was down the street. And I think we started out, like, borrowing boats from a bigger high school on, like, odd days they weren't using it. But I, I think it's a beautiful sport. And it's, like, nice to see that, like, older people are are taking it up because, to me, it's, like, this sport that's, like, you know, it, it's kind of, like, lighter on the joint. Obviously, anything at an elite level, Marilu, I'm sure you're putting your body through some <laughs> crazy stuff. But, like, for the average person, like, it's a nice sport to just like keep in shape and mm-hmm. it's very peaceful on the water. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's beautiful. And I hope it, it picks up because I, th- I think it's a really cool sport. And, you know, I haven't seen, like, I've seen the local stuff, but I love watching it at the Olympics. And, and I think just to give people an understanding, could you maybe like break down, you know, kind of the, not the boats themselves, but like, we know that there could be like a team of, four a team of two singles like can you break that down so people could conceptualize like what kind of race they are and then in that vein maybe discuss what like a whole season would look for you if there wasn't a pandemic (laughs) yeah Um, yeah, so I think the first thing to know about rowing is is that you have two kinds of rowing Um, they're basically the same movement but one of them you have two oars um which we call sculling and then the other one you only have one uh which we call sweeping um and so in those two categories in sculling we have this single uh which is just you and your boat and then you have the double uh and then you have the quad um so that's the kind of three boats that you have in sculling and then in sweeping uh it starts with the pair uh which is two people um and like two oars total so one or each and then you have the four and then you have the eight uh and the eight is actually nine uh athletes in there because you have the eight rowers plus a coxswain uh which is kind of it's in charge of uh the direction of the boat and then uh also just making everybody in sync in the boat <clears throat> Um, so those are like all the kinds of boats. And then there's also 
derivation, so you can have a four with a coxswain, but it's not an Olympic boat, uh, okay. but it will race at World Championship, for example. Interesting. Um, and same thing with the pair. Uh, you can have a pair with a coxswain, but uh, it's also not an Olympic sport. <clears throat> and you also have, for athletes, two different categories. So you have the lightweights and the heavyweights, or open weights. Oh, um, I did not know that. Yes. Uh, it's actually... Uh, well, it was supposed to be, the category was supposed to be eliminated, eliminated after uh, Tokyo, but then they extended it to Paris. Okay. Uh, so after 2024, it's supposed to be just one weight category. Um, I think the Olympic Committee is trying to eliminate the weight category in all the sports that uh, don't necessarily need it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but right now, uh, yeah, right now there's two categories, but... Um, so, I mean, I'm definitely a heavyweight, uh, and there's not a lot of people that are actually lightweight because it's, for a woman, it's 135 pounds, which is mm. light, and yeah. then you put as many, much muscle on it as possible, so, uh, but for rowing, you also want to be tall, and so it's a very specific kind of body type that, uh, goes into lightweight. Yeah. Um, so I would say like a typical season, if we start from uh, uh, around November, that's like kind of a, the beginning of our off season. Um, <clears throat> so from November to in Quebec, I would say April, mid-April, uh, we're inside. Um, <clears throat> so we erg a lot. I do a lot of cross-country skiing. And in that time, we're really trying to build up the aerobic base so we're just gonna do a lot of volume um I would say like it's around like 30 hours a week mm-hmm. um and we're we're just piling the hours and then in April we start to uh we first we go back on water which is very exciting and then we also start to ramp up the intensity uh to prep for the season um and Usually, first week of May or second week of May, we have the national selection. Um, And so that is a race, a weekend of racing, uh, which is the typical uh, heat, repechage, and then uh, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, uh, over three days of racing. Um, And you get to the Sunday after the regatta and they make what they call a speed order, uh, which is basically just a ranking of all all the athletes. Uh, And they cut, uh, I would say, like, two-thirds of the athlete, maybe. Damn, there's Uh, a lot of pressure in one weekend. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, that's, like, a big big test, and that's in single. So everybody is in single or pair if you want to try for the the sweeping pool. Okay. Um, but they're in small boats, what, yeah, what we call small boats. Um, and so from that, so that tests you individually, and then you finish that on the Sunday, and then on, on the Monday you have a 2K test to race on the ERG. Uh, okay. Your raw power. And, and so you, you do that, and from that they're going to cut a couple more people. Um, and then... Usually on Tuesday, sometimes they give us the Tuesdays off, but it depends. But the next day, anyway, you start the, what we call matrix. And so they're going to take 
if well they're gonna split the group into groups of six and then they're gonna take for a group of six they're gonna take three doubles um and you're gonna race all three doubles down the course and then you're gonna switch the combination go back up do it again switch go back up mm. do it again and you do that five times to race with everybody in mm-hmm. the um and from that you get another ranking and so even if you're losing that race you want to have the smallest gap possible because yeah. you add all the times together I see and why it, you do math now, Marie-Lou. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm like trying to keep up. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, man, you need That's an so algorithm, a computer software for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then you, you get a total time for that and then you get another ranking. And from that, it really kind of depends on performance. So if there's one person standing out, then that person's probably going to go in the single. And then mm-hmm. if there's two people standing out together, then they're going to go in the double. But then if it's like last year and everybody, well, there was one person sitting out, she went into the single, but then we had uh, six six girls, basically the same speed. Oh, shit. Um, and so it, it took another two weeks to decide what we were going to do with that. And so that's very stressful because you don't really know what's going on into like in the coach's head yeah (laughs) like training and racing every day trying to prove that you're gonna like you should make a boat and from that like it kind of depends last last year we had a good group discussion and they asked us which boat we would want to do yeah Um, that's kind of nice because i was gonna say like we've had this conversation like with my team like i play hockey obviously like a team sport sometimes you get cut from things and it's like more ambiguous to me like I'm always like man I wish I was like a sprinter you know if you're faster than the person you're faster than the person that's it right like they're not thinking like ah you know what kind of player are they are they gonna mesh well but it sounds like you guys were kind of in that situation Mm -hmm. and it's nice to hear that they kind of considered maybe your your compatibility like who would you want to race with yeah, definitely. And it's not all the coaches that do that. And I don't know which method is better than the other, but mm-hmm. it was really nice to be able to give her, her feedback on what we were thinking. Um, and it ended up being a good a good combination. We had a, a four and a double coming, or a quad and a double coming out of that. Um, and it was a really good experience overall. Um, but anyway, so that's the first kind of race of the, the season and it's a hard one because you start with just a regatta but then the selection process can take from one week or like one day to like three weeks um and you never really know (laughs) like the the best thing you can do is go really fast and stand out and then you know yeah like they're gonna you're solid but then when everybody's kind of the same it gets really hard yeah um anyway so that's the first thing and then if you make it uh to the team well in the last few years I was under 23 I just turned senior this year so it's going to be a little different but uh in the U23 then you if you make the team you make the U23 world championship team uh and you train either well usually it's in London Ontario or Victoria BC Mm -hmm. uh they just close the London center so uh usually it's more in Victoria um so you you train there for i don't know like four weeks 
Uh, and so that's pretty hard because you have four weeks to find the chemistry into your boat and putting uh, four girls together that are from different places and don't really know each other well. And then in four weeks, you have to be um, like Peeping. able to like, know everything <laughs> about everybody in your boat. Yeah. Um, it is hard, but we do a lot of fun stuff. Like last year, we had like dancing lessons and stuff like that. Oh. <laughs> uh, kind of like make it uh, easier on the chemistry. And How are your dancing skills, Marie-Lou? Uh, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Had to ask, had to ask. But we had a lot of fun with it. So um, I think that's the point, right? So that way yeah. you guys can develop like good relationships and, and increase that team chemistry, just Emma. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so after that, we go to World Championship, uh, which are, well, we usually get there like a week or two in advance and then we race for a week. Um, okay. And then, um, and then we come back and Depending on the years, uh, like last year, I got two weeks off after that. So we usually take a little transition where we can, basically, we have to train a little bit, but we do whatever we want and we don't have to be at the center. Um, so I usually like go to my cottage and do like long bike rides and stuff like that, which is really fun. Uh, and then we come back and we get ready in the single again. We go back in singles and we get ready for national championships, which are either uh, mid-October, beginning of November. Um, and that's like the final race of the season. Uh, and they're, uh, they're really fun because everybody's there and everybody's coming back from international uh, racing. And it's it's just nice to see everybody and see uh the level also like from the spring where mm -hmm. we race uh to go to world champ to after world champ like everybody kind of progresses differently over the summer depending on their experience and stuff like that um so that's really fun to see uh so we have that final race and then we go back to indoor training for for the winter That is quite the rundown. I feel like I have the full picture <laughs> in my head. I'm curious to know, like, what do you prefer, rowing on your own or rowing in a team? Um, I think I prefer rowing in the team uh, yeah. just because I'm very, uh, I do, well, yeah, I kind of do a lot of uh, performance anxiety and it's hard for me to Uh, just stay relaxed yeah. uh, and I'm working on it really hard but I feel like in the team it's more kind of a party and just like we're going to have fun and like race really hard and when it gets hard you're pushing for somebody else which mm -hmm. is easier than pushing for yourself I feel um, and so I, I think I like that more but I'm learning uh, to love the single especially with the pandemic like We've just been in single. For <laughs> If there was ever a time to get over the performance anxiety, they kind of threw you into the deep end in this pandemic, right? Yes. <laughs> so, I'm really learning to love it. And um, I think I've made some progress and I'm starting to feel a little bit more confident. But yeah, so it, it's for me, it's like two really different experiences from racing mm -hmm. by myself to racing with somebody else. Um, and I'm somebody that loves people i love mm -hmm. talking to people um and so when i 
when I race with somebody in a double or in a quad, like I'm on the start line, I'll make jokes and we'll talk and it will be fun. Uh, when I'm by myself, at first, I was just not talking and getting like really stressed in my bones. Yeah, you get in um, your head. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I found this trick that we have uh, boat holders. Uh, so people that just holds our boat. Uh, <laughs> and so every time I'm like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> You're my new friend for the next couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, and there's, they're always like, they don't really know how to respond. To a lot of athletes just want to be in their own bubble. Yeah. yeah. Like, should I, am I allowed to respond? Am I going to get fired? <laughs> yeah. And so now I just make them with people <laughs> that's so funny I mean you got to do what you got to do and like performance anxiety like that's a hard one I think a lot of people have to deal with that and and you know I guess I guess one of the benefits of the pandemic is that you know you, you don't really have a choice but to deal with it and learn how to deal with it and I'm glad to hear that it's getting better for you and I mean one thing that I'm curious about you know you talked about the vigorous training the working with with other people building that team chemistry I mean in 2018 and 2019 you competed at the U23 uh, World Championships in quadruple scale yeah. so obviously in that in that case you're working with a team so all that training that goes into competing at these championships you know when it comes to communication and ensuring that like on race day like you guys are on the same page you know like how does it work are you guys just like you guys have like, I don't know, I think of football, for example, and they're, I hear like when I'm watching it on TV, you'll hear the quarterback yell some like random word <laughs> that to me doesn't mean anything, but like the team they know, you know? So is it kind of like that where you guys are like communicating constantly on the boat or or is it kind of like you guys have prepared for this day and you kind of know like the game plan in your head and you just race? Um, so there's a lot of practice race that goes into a world championship. Uh, mm -hmm. whether we actually race or we just run the, down the course like we just roll down the course easy but we just like repeat what we're gonna say what we're gonna do um, and so everybody knows exactly what to do at every minute I would say like from the moment we wake up to the moment we're uh, probably like an hour after the race mm -hmm. we know exactly what to do um but in the boat, like, we plan the race for the best outcome, but it's not always what happens. Like, there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, so we do need to talk a little bit. Um, the only person that will talk in the boat is the bow person. So the person that's going to cross the finish line before the first uh, to cross the finish line. But she's actually looking at everybody else because, because we're going backwards. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you can like imagine that, but anyway, so <laughs> that's about, she's the only one that's going to say stuff during the race or even during training. Like if we have to stop, if we have to turn and stuff like that, she's calling everything in the boat. Um, and so everybody knows exactly the plan, mm -hmm. um, but that person's just going to say some keywords that we have established before. Um to just make sure everybody is kind of centered on the same thing and doing the same thing because especially in a in a quad where you're like four different person but yeah. you have to do one for the race uh it's so easy that like as on the stress and everything like with everything happening it's so easy that everything's fall fall apart and so that person is just responsible for regrouping everybody making sure everybody's okay um but during a race like you can't talk like you're 
it's too late to be like correcting at that point like yeah at that point you can't be barking yelling at each other (laughs) (laughs) you have like we usually have uh one specific thing to think about um every 250 meters Mm -hmm. and then that person uh the person that calls stuff like will have a keyword that she can say if she feels like she needs to um and yeah so it's just like everybody knows what to do but we have like a, like some keywords that we can use if we need to and also that person's going to be responsible for checking where the other boats are because you can't like it's like running and then you look behind you like it's gonna slow you down yeah yeah so, <clears throat> the only person that is allowed to get your your her boat left to get her head up <laughs> at the boat is what, what we, we call it um is the the bow person and she's gonna check just sometimes to see where the other boats are and then she can give some feedback if she has the energy to but usually she doesn't um so <laughs> yeah that's true he's like who wants to waste on a to make an auditory sound yeah <laughs> i'm so i was just saying okay. like because I remember at the, I think it was the Rio Olympics, like there was a, like a lot of wind and I think they had to postpone some of the races mm-hmm. and stuff. So, you know, along with just like communicating throughout the race, like are there instances where like the weather is, you know, I don't know, there's like a wave coming and you have to make adjustments or was that just like really rare? Because I remember there was like a lot of complaining saying basically it was like unacceptable to be rowing in. <laughs> in that body of that water. That sounds insane. Like, I, I remember, I was like, yo, this, this is like white water rafting at this point. Yeah, Rio was particularly bad uh, for weather, but it's not uncommon that you have really bad conditions. And so you have to train in all of the conditions for sure. Um, I think the complaining in Rio, like, it was definitely bad. It was really bad. But it's also coming from the fact that in training days prior to the racing, if it was that bad, uh, they the officials were like, "Oh, there's no training. Like conditions are too bad." And oh, then, and then it was like, "But you're cool to race." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same conditions, but then they're like, "Oh yeah, no, go for it." Yeah, a little bit of a double standard. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, but it's really, it's like it's it's such a challenge if you're not allowed to uh, train in those conditions, but then you're told to go race in them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I think that's a lot, like, where the frustration in Rio came from. Okay. Uh, but you have to be ready for all the conditions. And uh, there's some adjustment you can make on the boat before the race, uh, depending on the conditions. And then it's also adjusting your, your racing style. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like, of course, your rate um, is going to be a little bit lower, probably, if there's, like, white caps. Yeah. Because uh, you don't want to make a mistake. Like, it's going to like in those conditions it's going to come down to who's able to handle the condition better and not who's the strongest yeah Um, not just raw output at that point yeah and so you have to adjust um and you usually talk about that uh in the boat like before going on the water like Mm -hmm. you're gonna adjust a little bit your race plan yeah um but yeah so you you basically have to ready to uh race in any conditions like i remember uh, in Rio again, actually, at the Panem uh, qualifiers, mm-hmm. it was not too bad. And I raced in the morning and it was fine. 
and then at, all of a sudden, like, this big storm is coming in, and it's, like, white capping everywhere. But they didn't stop the racing. Like, they kept people racing for, like, so <laughs> long until one race. My friend was in that race, actually. Okay. Pairs, and the pairs were, they were just not able to keep in straight line. They were not able to stay in the buoy line. And so there was, like, one pair crossing all the way over, and then, like, boats were, like, colliding. And oh, my God. <laughs> So wow. Watching oh, this we're like, why are you not canceling the race? Like this is It's not even rowing seriously. at that point. Like it's <laughs> no. a different sport. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And so anyway, and then they can- after that race they canceled all the other race. But um so anyway, just to say that you have to be ready for anything um on race day because you're like if they say you're going to race, like you have to go um uh, and you have to be like do the best you can like to to just make it work. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you just have to be ready. That's absolutely wild. I guess, Marilu, you know, for the sake of time, we're going to wrap it up slowly, but, you know, obviously your end goal is the Olympics, you know? So I guess what would be the next steps for you now to, to like, get to that, that point? What, what do you need to, like, achieve? Um, I would say, like, I'm on the right path, and right now it's, like, a little struggle because uh we're supposed to be in the first year of a quad but we're actually in the last year of a yeah uh, not a quad anymore but whatever you're you're leading um, up to the olympics again (laughs) and so like that's uh that's hard and i was actually at the the training camp to get like for selection for tokyo Mm -hmm. um and we finished our selection right before the right before the pandemic Mm-hmm. kind of like lock everything down um and so and they decided to keep the same okay. I was out of the boat by a couple of seconds and um they decided to to keep the the boat that they had already selected for for next year which okay. I think is a, is a good idea because it's so selections is so stressful uh it's a six-month camp everybody's exhausted and so if you can take that time and that that extra year to just get better and make sure you have the fastest boat in the in the world then like I think it's a it's the right move to do but for sure for me it's a little disappointing because I was very close and yeah with an extra year like I maybe could have made Mm -hmm. um but yeah so anyway um so there's like not much hope for Tokyo right now uh, so I guess like my next step is well I'm turning senior this year so it will be my first kind of uh, senior um, uh, appearances on the international race. Uh, so the world championships are in October. Um, so I'm ha- aiming for that, uh, and I kind of want to see where I'm at compared to to the best in the world. And then uh, I have like another three years to make sure I'm on top of my game for for Paris so that I guess it's just like one year at a time and and make sure I make I make the team and then I make the the best out of a every situation until until Paris mm-hmm. um and yeah hopefully in 2024 it will be uh we'll uh, be cheering I'll, you on yeah hopefully I'll be ready by then um I think so like I'm pretty excited for for the next couple of years yeah, like you said, it's about like taking it one year at a time and it's 
at this point with everything that's happening like one day at a time and <laughs> and hopefully like we'll be tracking for 2024 in Paris like hopefully it won't even be like any question yeah um yeah and I was just gonna say like I think it you know obviously it, it's a little bit heartbreaking for you because you were like so close to making yeah. that, that boat but I do think it's nice that they honored the people who did make it because you know the pandemic is such like no one expected this right and if you kind mm-hmm. of you would have been there as like that athlete and you kind of lose your spot. That would, you know, that would be heartbreaking. My heart breaks for you too, but I'm like, I'm excited for you for the next four years. It it's sounds, looking up. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're, you're doing the right things. And I think you're like, you're going to mature into your sport now, you know, yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, the way I see it. I think also like the girls that made the boat, they deserve it so much. And I'm like, so proud of them. Um, and I'm still very young like just going to that uh selection camp was already not in the plan like it was like an extra an extra thing and it was awesome and I got so much experience out of it mm-hmm. but I think it's just not my time yet and I know yeah. like I have so much more to learn before being able to perform at the Olympics and <clears throat> the thing is that I want to go to the Olympics so bad but I also want to do well at the Olympics yeah yeah so I just I know it's not my time, like, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make uh, 2024 my time. Yeah. Uh, and make sure I'm 100% ready when I get there. 2024, the year of Marie-Lou Duvernay-Tardif. Thank you so much for talking to us. Such a pleasure. I think Mel and I, like, our minds have, like, exponentially expanded with all this growing <laughs> knowledge. And we'll definitely re-listen back to this episode to like <laughs> catch up on the little details. Um, thank you so much. Before we let you go, uh, do you want to plug anything, your own social media, maybe your parents' bakery? I don't know, uh, before we let you go. Um, I mean, if you want to know more about rowing, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, it's just my full name, I think. Or maybe, I don't know. Uh, we'll figure it out for you. Yeah, we'll, we'll take a look. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I don't post a lot, but I am trying to uh, make people more aware of rowing and uh, what it takes to to, to train at, at this sport at a high level. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Marilou. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Marilou. to our podcast rate and review it on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and balado quebec you could also find a recording of most of our interviews on youtube yes that is true and you know what you can follow us on facebook and instagram at away from the play and on twitter at mel underscore and underscore safs you can also follow us individually on twitter at saps underscore on the go and for myself at mel the rock special thanks to matsu brutus for the music and naimalu for our logo give them both a follow on instagram we can't wait to see you next week